Lord, we worship you. I thank you so much, Lord, that we can bless your name. Uh, and then the psalm says, and forget none of your benefits, Lord. And we know that the benefit that you give us is your salvation, God. I thank you so much for the cross and the gift of Christ and the gift of salvation that we have in you. Um, and I pray that as we get ready to hear from your word, that we come with open hearts, ready and receptive to hear what you have to say, Lord. I thank you so much for this time we have together in your name. Amen. Jack, good morning. Yes? Awesome. Good morning. Hey, uh, thank you for being all here today. Um, it's a blessing being here, and uh, uh, welcome from the cause. That's the middle school and high school students. Up right now in the chapel, uh, Scott Sumter is preaching on the Bible and science and how the Bible and science are not enemies, but they're actually best friends. And uh, God invented science. We just happened to discover it. So he's uh, teaching on that this morning. And wasn't that a great time of worship with Brendan leading us this morning? Wasn't that a great time? Uh, make sure that you say uh, thanks to him here in the next couple weeks because he's going to be uh, jetting back to Chicago here pretty soon. So make sure that you uh, tell him that you appreciate him and his hair, which I'm jealous of, but that's okay. I'm praying about it. Hey, I want you to do something here real quick. Take two fingers and I want you to check your pulse. There's a couple different places you can check your pulse. The wrist, neck, something like that. If you got one, that means you're alive. We share something in common. Now, what you're feeling is, is a lub-dub, is what the doctors call it, I guess, when they check it with their stethoscope. A lub is when uh, your heart contracts, the upper chamber of your heart contracts, and it squeezes blood downward into the ventricles. And the dub, the lower part of that lub-dub, and right now mine's going, I guess, kind of quick, um, <laughs> It's when the lower chambers uh, contract and squeeze blood up into the aorta. And then from there, the blood goes out into the arteries. And for a moment, there's a small bulge in your artery, which is known and what we call a pulse. Okay? We all share this in common across the entire world. If you're alive, you've got one of these things. And if you don't, that's concerning. Okay? <laughs> Every person on the earth shares this in common. Now, there's, I'm here for a moment, I'm going to illustrate something with just a couple different words of something that the, our whole world is experiencing, has experienced, that we share in common. London Bridge attack, Las Vegas, Sutherland, Texas, Charlottesville, North Carolina, 13 Reasons Why and Teenage Suicide, and Hashtag Me Too. The pulse of our world is showing us that there's a heart condition, that there's a heart problem, there's a fatal heart disease, and it's not with the physical hearts, no, it's with our spiritual hearts. You see, the heart of the issue is, is that the heart has always been the issue. The heart of the issue is, in terms of our social events in our world today, is that the heart has always been the issue. And we're going to be beginning a new series for the next couple weeks. It's going to speak to this. We're going to speak about why the heart is an issue, the role it plays in our lives, and how to have a healthy spiritual heart as laid out in God's Word. Matt McClellan has been uh, teaching this uh, series on Sunday mornings with the men's, men's growth group study, and we want to take a look at it and accurately diagnose how we're doing. 
accurately diagnose our heart condition so that we might be able to walk in spiritual health. I want you to take out your notes here today, and we got something that A.W. Pink has said to us to set our minds straight. Our notes say this. The man is what his heart is. If this be dead to God, then nothing in him is alive. If this be right with God, all will be right. As the mainspring of a watch sets all its wheels and parts in motion, so as a man thinks in his heart. So is he. Proverbs 23, 7 says that. If the heart be right, the actions will be right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, we thank you for today. I thank you for the blessing um, and the honor it is to read your word. God, knowing across this world there are believers that have a page of your Bible and weep over it. That there are believers across this world, God, that are in situations right now that we couldn't even imagine. God, we pray for them. We pray for the other churches across this city. We pray as they open up your word, that they would be cut to the quick, that their hearts would be changed as well. God, I pray for the family here at Sam Heights. God, I thank you for this family. I thank you for growing me up here in this family. God, I thank you for your word. And we recognize that it says, apart from you, we can do nothing. And so I pray today that we respect, that we honor, and we reverence what you have to say to us today. And we love you. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So how did we get to the place, as I listed out in our social events, how did we get there? How did we get there? How did we get here? Why is the heart an issue? Imagine for a moment every interaction, perfect. Every glance at the other person without any pride, without any judging, without any need of forgiveness. Every motive, right. Every motive, perfect. Every intention, pure. Every conversation with your maker without sin and completely defined by peace, holiness, and reverence. Every new venture, every new experience was with sinless creativity. You see, this was what it was like to live in the garden with Adam and Eve. Every conversation and every heart interaction between Adam and Eve was what they experienced that every day. And then in one moment, they knew darkness, deceit, deception, disillusionment in a personal way in their heart. They knew all that just in a, move, in a moment. Lying became their new vocabulary. Blaming is what bubbled out of their hearts. And isolation and retreat is what became their new posture. God, I don't need you. God, I, I do, but I don't want you to know what's going on. Sin and wrecked everything, and at the core was Adam and Eve's hearts. It wasn't their environment. It wasn't their culture. It wasn't what was around them. They were living in the garden. It was perfect. It was the decision to attach onto and obey the lie, to say, I need me instead of him. I want my desires instead of his. In my heart, I'm going to choose myself and not my maker, my God. That's where sin began, and it was passed down to you and I, Heart after heart after heart after heart after spiritual heart was passed down to you and I. The same condition that we experience today, people have experienced for years and years. Until 
One day, 2,000 years ago, someone came with a perfect spiritual heart, born of man, but a perfect spiritual heart with no sin, not the ability to sin. Could he, would he, or should he? Jesus came. He died on a cross with a perfect heart, took all of our sins, was buried and rose again so that we might have new hearts. What we're going to work with today as our definition for a heart is this. Our hearts are the spiritual part of us where our emotions and desires dwell. Some people call it the seed of our emotions, the seed of our influence. It's that part of us where our emotions and our desires dwell spiritually. In your notes, we're, uh, we've been given a list here from Steve Gallagher. And the Bible lists almost 1,000 times this word heart. And he just paints a, a short picture of what Scripture describes the heart to be. Steve Gallagher reminds us that the Scripture describes the heart of man as being a tender heart, a proud heart, an unfeeling heart, a broken and contrite heart there in Psalm 51, 17. That's what God says he's close to. A humble heart. Matthew 22, 36, it's not in your notes, but what does it say? Love the Lord God with all your heart. Must be important to God. We can have a wise and discerning heart, putting our heart in the balance going, what is best? What is better? What is God's intention for my life? We can have a hard heart, which we're going to speak about later. God desires that we might have a clean heart. People are told to rend their hearts. Now, in that context in Joel, the context there is speaking of one coming to God who recognizes their sin. And for years and years, they've been doing an outward manifestation of just rending or tearing their garments, saying, God, I'm sorry for my sin. And this person comes to God saying, no, I want you to rend my heart. I want a heart that breaks for what you break for, God that no longer do I want worldly sorrow, but I want godly conviction. I want to break over my, my sin here. It says here that we could seek God with all of our hearts and pour out their hearts. We are told of those who deceive their own hearts. I'm okay. I didn't, I didn't really need that. Yeah, I've heard that since I was in grade school. That's the same thing I've heard over and over and over. I hear that in our youth group sometimes. It's the same thing I heard Hmm, must mean God wants you to hear it again. <laughs> Backslide in heart. Proverbs 14, 14. One who once walked in truth, like the sons of Korah, who used to lead people in worship, say, let's go worship God. And now I find myself backslidden. I used to be up here saying, let's go follow God. Let's go change the world for Jesus. And then the next moment, a couple years later, saying, I don't even know him. We can end up there. I can end up there. Those that might spurn reproof in their hearts. That would be someone that would scoff and say, no, this isn't for my good. It takes place in here. And regard wickedness in their heart, that you would entertain and invite sin and wickedness into your life. And in all these things, we're admonished to keep watch over our heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. You see, the heart of the issue is, the heart has always been the issue. The heart of the issue is that the heart has always been the issue. Our hearts can be in many ways, our hearts can be in many stages of health and play many roles in our life. We can experience many emotions and desires. Now, I was thinking back to this, and the show isn't on TV anymore, but you guys might relate to this. I hope you do. 
but the show Extreme Makeover Home Edition, do you guys remember that? Okay, now here's the thing. I got to be honest, just by watching the commercials, my heart was gripped. I mean, when Tyler says, move that bus, I was already like, yes, move it, okay? <laughs> I, I had man tears. I'll admit it, okay, even at the commercials. My emotions, right, were gripped in that moment. It was a tender moment seeing a family that had come from uh, maybe a low place, uh, an unfortunate circumstance, and were given a blessing. Now, that's a, that's a silly illustration on my part, but what about this? We just all experienced something together in our hearts. We had a collective heart experience. You know what it was? It was worship. Our hands were raised to our great God who took us out of a place of isolation. And we all with one voice admonishing one another said, I love you, God. I praise you. I worship you. And our hearts were lifted. The posture of our hearts were lifted to the heavens saying, God, I I love you. Thank you for what you've done. Calling me a child of God no longer an orphan, right? And then, you know what James says that we can do in our hearts? In the next moment, we can be sitting there, and Joe, Susie, Bob, Timmy, or Lou walks by. They didn't do that this week for me. They, you know what? That's right. Well, after church, I'm going to talk to them. You know what we do? In our hearts, we can go from here to slander in a moment. We can go from here to how could they in a moment. That's how quick our hearts operate. That's how quick our hearts can change. We, we've been just hearing this last couple weeks, a message on technology, on human sexuality, on what the Holy Spirit looks like in our life. And we could hear all these things. And you know what we could do? We could come to a place of saying, I don't need that. And we can discount it in our hearts. We could mute what the Holy Spirit's been doing. And I'll let you know that I have, at times, in the past couple weeks, muted the Spirit of God in my life and what He's been doing. And I've been convicted hardcore about that, especially even as I prepared for this message. All of us are prone to wander, right? What we're saying? Prone to leave the God I love. So take my heart, Lord, and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. We are quick to wander, true? And it started all the way back in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. You can write down that reference. In Genesis 6, verse 5, was the first time that the word heart was brought up. And if you think about that context, what, was, what just happened in, verse, in chapter 3? Adam and Eve fell in chapter 3. And then three chapters later, where do we find humanity? With every intent of the thoughts of their heart towards evil. Just three chapters, and the entire world was defined by intentions for evil. Not much different from today, true? And so what do we say again? The heart of the issue is that the heart has always been the issue. This is where we start worship and where we start sin. It starts in here. It starts in here. And today I want to take a little dive into Hebrews chapter 4, and we're going to ask and see how to begin to have a hard heart and a healthy heart. How might one come away from circumstances in life and leave with a hard heart or a soft, healthy heart? So I want you to turn there to Hebrews chapter 4. We'll actually actually start in chapter 3 for a moment and then spend the bulk of our time in chapter 4. And as you turn there, 
The author of Hebrews wrote this book around 67 to 68 A.D. That's about 30 years after Jesus rose from the dead. And for 1,500 years, rivers of blood, smoke from fiery altars, and incense had been burnt. And now all of that had come to an end. It had ceased. And the author of Hebrews helps his readers understand the Old Testament law was merely a shadow that would be realized in the person of Jesus Christ, and that Jesus was not just the um, person who was superior to the Old Testament law, but he was the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. And read with me, starting in chapter 3, verse 4. It says this. It says, For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now, in the context there, the author of Hebrews is speaking about how God was the builder of the house, the family of God. And it goes on to say that Moses helped take care of this family. Moses helped take care of this family. He helped serve this family. He helped serve the family. He helped serve the Israelites. How Moses led the people out of Egypt was a picture of how one day the Messiah would lead the people out of their sin that throughout the journey Moses took with these people, they encountered things that they could never unsee, things that they would always remember in their minds and feel in their hearts. Things like this, when they would be working in Egypt and sweat would be coming off their brow and they'd be beat, they'd be whipped, they'd be completely mistreated. And then in the next moment, in walks this guy named Moses. And they'd see him, And they see legions and leaping frogs everywhere. And in the next moment, they'd see locusts filling the entire air and all the cattle perishing. You could never unsee that. They saw God move. And then then in one culminating moment, the firstborn child dying, except for those that had shed blood over the doorposts. They would have never been able to unsee that. That would have been in their minds, seared forever, in their hearts, felt, knowing that they had seen much, that God had taken care of them much. Now, someone might say, well, they've seen God. They've seen God work. Why would they ever grumble? Why would they ever get a hard heart? Why would they ever get in a place where they say, you know what? I don't need God. I don't need to follow him. Someone might say that. Well, the, the, the uh, miracles continued, right? They saw pillars of fire. They saw cloud. They were walking through in two walls of water on either side, and behind them all their foes were extinguished, right? They saw all those things. And what was their response? We trust you, God. We're going to rest in you no matter what. We're going to believe in you. No. What was their response? To grumble. You can see that. Read with me in in chapter 3, verse 7. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. They saw what God did. The hand of God moved in a supernatural way. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. And they did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. They saw amazing things. They saw incredible things, things that they could never unsee. 
Now, I was thinking about how to relate this, and um, my daughter, Nora, she just actually gave her life to the Lord. She said, I believe in Jesus, and I want to go to heaven. And so we said, oh, that's great. And so we uh, prayed with her, and she gave her life to the Lord. And then she's like, hey, Daddy, Mommy, here's the thing. Now, since I believe, I'm never going to sin again. <laughs> and I was like, now we get to talk about forgiveness. <laughs> but, you know, I don't think she was that far off of what we see the Israelites as, Right? How could they do this? How could they walk and grumble and get a hard heart after all they've seen from God? How could they do that? Well, think about what they went through. They went through a trial. They went through a trial of the wilderness. And this isn't in your notes, but I encourage you to write this down. This is how steps to a hard heart. You go through a trial. They went through the trial of the wilderness. They went through something that we can't imagine, walking day after day in a desert, right? Where's the food going to come from? Oh, the next thing is they question God, true? Where's, what, what are you doing, God? What are you doing? You're questioning God's goodness. They went through a trial. Where's the food going to come from? My feet hurt real bad. What's going on? The trial, they started questioning God's goodness, and then here's the third one. What did they do? Well, the grumbling continued, and they began to choose their own desires and worship themselves. Hey, since Moses isn't here to lead us, and God doesn't know what he's doing, and we're here in the wilderness, let's just get up and play. Let's just worship ourselves and make a God of our own image. You go through a trial, you question God's goodness, you start choosing yourself, and then, and then what ends up happening? You get a hard heart. Ultimately, I don't want you, God. And you can even see that in the passage there. They didn't know my ways. They experienced a hard heart. Because of that, they didn't experience the promised land. Now, there was a student that came from uh, a number of years ago to our youth group. And he was a very outspoken atheist. Um, He would argue any point. He was very cordial, uh, but... Uh, and respectful, but he would argue any point that we had in a small group discussion. And sitting down with him and with another buddy of mine, uh, we had a lot of conversations. Uh, he was very honest about his mental health, um, what he had experienced in his life, and he even got to the point of saying, you know what, I could see that, you know, that, that there has to be something that created all this. As we had these conversations, there had to be something that created all these things, but I don't want it to be God. I don't want it to be God. And so I simply asked him, I was like, hey man, what happened? Can you tell me what happened? What happened to your life? What happened, what happened to you? And he said, well, and we were meeting on a Thursday. Well, every Thursday for five years, I was abused. And I said, I am so sorry. I, I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine what you've been through. And so what happened, there's the trial, Right? terrible. He said, well, then I began to search for why, why I'm here. I began to search for what, what purpose I have in this life. I began investigating all these different beliefs and, and these different uh, religious systems. There's the questioning. And then I began to make myself happy. This is what he's telling me. I worked out. I became the strongest person. I became the smartest person. I became, uh, I could defend myself no matter what situation. 
There's the choosing self. And so now, you know what? I don't need God. And he told me that. I don't need God. I'm fine by myself. If I go to hell, I go to hell. If I go to heaven, I go to heaven. But I don't need God. There's the hard heart. And I, sitting there with him in the coffee shop, I said, hey, there's, there's a better life, man. There's a better life. There's a God that I know who, he, his word says that he holds all of our tears in a bottle in Psalm 56. And he wants to be your God. He wants to be your friend, walk with you through what you're feeling right now. And he knows what you're feeling right now. There's a better life. And the trials that you've been through and the questioning and all of the times that you chose yourself, God knows. And he wants to be near. And he wants to be near you and I. He wants to be near us. He wants to be near me. And so as we've unpacked how to have a hard heart, let's unpack how to have a soft, healthy one. Read with me now in chapter 4, verse 11. Keep praying for that guy. My buddy uh, actually said that he had a recent interaction with him. So Lord willing. Why? Because the story's never done. The story's not done. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11, it says this. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest, that place of having a soft, healthy heart, so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. God doesn't want you to experience the life that the Israelites experience of questioning and choosing yourself. No, he wants you to experience a soft, healthy heart life. That's what he intended your life to be. And so here's the three ways to have a soft, healthy heart. You guys ready? Listed out by the Spirit of God, how he led the author of Hebrews. The first one is this, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. The first way to have a soft and healthy heart is this, by letting God and his word speak to any area of your heart. By letting God and his word speak to any area of your heart. I was at a Super Bowl party one time, and this was an interesting Super Bowl party. Why, you may ask? The volume was completely turned off for the game, but it was completely turned up for the commercials. And I was sitting there going like, I think you're missing the main thing here. And they're talking, talking, all oh, the commercials are coming on. I'm like, who cares? I want to watch the football game. They have the wrong thing turned up. Now, if you disagree with me, uh, we can talk later. But the wrong thing was turned up. Let me let you know this, that a closed, dusty Bible is as good as a lost one. The closed, dusty Bible is as good as a lost one. What's turned up in your life? What's loud? Because you know what God's Word is offering right here? Check it. Read with me. It says, God's Word, it's living. It's like a heart that's throbbing with divine life. The God of the universe makes dead things, and he turns them, in, excuse me, he takes dead things and turns them into life. It's active. It's effective and energizes any believer for the work of God. He wants to be active in your life. No passivity in the Christian life. 
It's sharper than any two-edged sword, better than a, blade, than a sword with two blades. God cuts to the quick and goes to the crevices of man's heart and roots him out. That's what God's Word does. And what does it do? It pierces as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of people's hearts. It discerns, it knows what's going on in your life better than anyone else. And you know who struggles with that? I do. I struggle with that because you know what I think? I think I know what's going on in your life. I think, in my heart, I can judge the thoughts and intentions of your heart. You guys, really? Am I? Okay, here's the thing. I can. And what God's word is saying right here is, no, Tim, let me be God. Why, why, why don't you just stop trying to be God and judge what other people are doing in their hearts and what they're thinking about you? Because I'm perfect. I know exactly what they're going through. I know exactly what you're going through. Let my word speak to it, not yours. Let God's word work in your life. It's active. It's living. It's sharper. It pierces. I can't do any of those things. It goes on in verse 13. It says, Then there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom he have to do. The way that that verse is written in verse 13, when it says there's no creature hidden in his sight, it, it means this, that every organic and inorganic thing God sees and knows about. But in the context, here's what I think it's saying. He knows everyone. He knows everything that's going on. There's nothing that misses God's sight. He never blinks with humanity. There's no vacations for God. He sees everything that's going on. And it's open. You see that right there in verse 13? And that's, this is a very visceral term. It's open, like a surgeon taking a knife and opening up, doing heart and throat surgery. He sees every single ventricle, chamber, lub-dub, blood, everything. He sees everything. There's nothing that we can hide from God. There's no cover-up, no makeup, no blanket or man cave that can hide from the living God. There's nothing that God doesn't see. Turn up God's word. Don't mute the main thing. Turn this up. You know what we do? We turn up our friends. We turn up our Facebook. We turn up our Instagram. We turn up all those things thinking that those are going to speak the same volume as what we need in our emotional heart. And all of them fall flat. God's word will blow out your speakers. God's word is going to speak to the area where you need in your life the most. This is what our hearts yearn for. It's someone to emotionally meet us, word meet us, God's word, inventively, he made this, and he wants to speak to every single part of, those of our hearts. So turn up the volume of God's word. Don't try to do heart surgery on your own. Let God and his word cut. So I got a question for you. <laughs> what speaks loudest to you? You can go back, sorry. What speaks loudest to you? The words of scripture or the world's? What speaks loudest to you right now? This was a convicting question for me this week. What speaks loudest? What do you have turned up in your life? What do you have turned up? The first way to have a soft, healthy heart, one that God can use, is to let God and his word speak to any of your area of your life. Here's the second way. The second way is this, and it's in verse 14. It's by recognizing Jesus as the only one who truly understands your heart. Amen. 
The second way to have a soft, healthy heart is by recognizing Jesus is the only one who truly understands your heart. Uh, a number of weeks ago, we had uh, a number of you guys, and I got to serve alongside of many of you at a, our Agape Youth Camp. And it was an amazing camp where we saw 70 returning students and 50 new kids that had never been to the camp before. And just to remind you, this is a camp where every single student there, every camper, shares something in common. And that one of their parents in the last five years has been incarcerated or currently is in prison. And uh, many of you guys helped serve there. Uh, Our Savior's Lutheran, uh, Mission Fellowship, and I think over 10 churches, some people down from uh, um, Eugene also came up to, to help serve. It was an amazing time. The gospel was preached. We saw probably, I don't know, 20 or 30 kids raise their hands to accept Christ as their Savior, which is a praise to God. Conversations went deep, okay? Impact went deep. Just by throwing a couple seeds for a couple days, these kids' lives were impacted for the rest of the year. Um, And it was an amazing time. But at this camp, there was also a student who I've had previous interaction with, and uh, he was having a hard weekend. He'd run away, he'd begin fights, he'd start um, confrontations and stuff. And so me and uh, one of the other uh, leaders of the camp Agape, or Agape Youth Camp came and brought him, we sat him down, and sitting there, he's yelling at me, cussing at my face, verbally abusing me. And I'm sitting there going, well, one, I, I didn't deserve any of this, but two, I have no idea what you have gone through. I don't know what you've gone through. I don't know the hurt that's been thrown at you. He actually did throw things at me, like literal things. I don't know what's been thrown at you, what's been said to you. I can't relate to you at all. And he's like 11. I I don't know what's happened in your life. In that moment, I was completely inadequate to speak to any situation, any of his hurts or pain in my own ability. But God wasn't. Just that day, we had read Psalm 139, which talks about how God, he knows when we rise up, when we lay down, he thinks about our thoughts before we even think them, that he's intimately acquainted with all our ways. And the students all read that. That God of the universe knows exactly what's been thrown at him. That God of the universe knows exactly what's going on in his heart. I don't. The God of the universe, it says here in verse 14, read this with me. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Our high priest, far superior to the Levitical priests, didn't just pass through a cloth veil. No, he passed through the veil of heaven, into heaven. And what are we to do? We're to hold fast to our confession, our belief that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. That's what we hold on to. That's what we encourage the student and every single kid at Agape Youth Camp. Why? Verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. We don't have someone that just goes, hey, we'll just, throw a, we'll just do a sacrifice for you and we're never going to talk to you again. No, we have a great high priest who can sympathize with what we've gone through. And the wording there means this, that Jesus actually wants to enter in to our suffering. He wants to enter in to the tests and trials and pain and the things that have been thrown at us. That's what Jesus wants to do. He wants to enter into that situation. That I'm not alone, that he's not alone with that kid. 
But it doesn't stop. It says, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Jesus doesn't want to just enter into the conversation. He wants to give you victory. He doesn't just want to enter into the conversation with that 11-year-old who's been through more pain. No, he wants to give him victory, saying, you don't have to live this life. I want to give you a new heart. I want to give you a new life. I know what you've been through. I know your weaknesses, and I know the temptations that you've even gone through. And I want to give you victory. I want to give you a soft heart, a soft, healthy heart. And he wants to give you and I that as well. God understands your heart. And be reminded of this, that you're not alone. That 11-year-old is not alone. But know this that isolating yourself and taking yourself away from the one who wants to enter into your sufferings is a sign of a hard heart. Proverbs 18.1 says this, that he who separates himself seeks his own desire. He who separates himself seeks his own desire. That's a sign of a hard heart saying, no, God, I don't want you to speak to that area of my life. So I ask you this question. Do you feel isolated in your circumstances? Do you feel like no one gets you? Well, Scripture has something to say about that too. Because it says in 1 Corinthians that there's no temptation that's overtaken any man, but that which is what? Common. Common. We, we get each other. God gets us perfectly. Do you feel isolated? That's a lie. You're not. Your God wants to enter into your sufferings. He wants to give you a soft heart amidst the trials that you're in. So the first way to have a soft, healthy heart is by letting God and his word speak to any area of your life. The second way to have a soft, healthy heart is by recognizing that God gets you, that he understands what you've been through. And the third way to have a soft, healthy heart is this, and it's laid out to us here in verse 16. It's by drawing near to Jesus through prayer at any time. Verse 16 says this, Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Going back to that kid that I talked about, at the end of each one of the conversations, I looked at him and I said this, buddy, I forgive you. I forgive you. And the next time I see you, I'm going to say this, what's up? And he gets this little smirk on his face, right? Why? Because he recognized that I'm not holding it against him. What did he just get in that moment? Grace. He got mercy. He threw things at me. <laughs> he gets love. That's what he gets in, in response. When we draw near to Jesus, when we draw near to him, James says he'll draw near to us, but when we draw near to him, you know what we receive in response? We receive grace and mercy. Because Jesus, who is our advocate, he's our heavenly etern- attorney, we can draw near to him knowing that he's like, dude, that kid's mine. Tim's mine. Tim's mine. No matter what's happened, he's mine. I represent him. He's my high priest. That's that's who Jesus is. I receive mercy. I receive mercy. I receive grace. Getting what I don't deserve and not getting what I do deserve are those two things. Despite my rap sheet, my criminal record, my lists of wrongs, transgressions, and sins, I can come to God at any time. Like the Israelites... I go through wildernesses. We go through wildernesses. We go through tests. I can come to God. And like the Israelites, when I start to question God and his goodness, why are you doing this, God? Why are you doing this? I can draw near. 
And even in the times when I choose myself, I can come to God. I can draw near. And what happens in response? My heart softens. It softens. I'm going to ask an interesting question here for a moment, and this is a question we ask up in our youth group a lot. And I want you to do business with it right now before we end our time here together. If someone were to live your life, if someone were to live your life, so you don't get to live your life for a moment, okay? Sweet. Okay, if someone were to live your life, okay, what would they need prayer for? If someone were to live your life right now, what would you want to pray about so that they would be in a better place, that they would have a soft heart? So take yourself out of your situation for a moment and look at someone else living your life. Oh, dude, they need prayer about that. Write that down. Do business with that right now. Take it to the throne room because you're going to receive grace. You're going to receive grace. As you're writing that down or as you're considering that, I have one little final illustration today. Um, I learned about a thing this last week called apple maggots. And <laughs> hey, my senior pastor is Pastor Justin, and if you can talk about spiders and bingo wings, I can talk about apple maggots. Okay. So apple maggots are a little tiny bug that uh, um, uh, the female apple maggot flies around looking where she might lay her eggs. And she's got this little tube on the back of her, and she pierces the um, top of the skin of an apple. Now, I always thought growing up that when you go to the, you know, a local grocery store, not going to name any, and there's holes or whatever on the outside of the apple, that some apple got, or excuse me, some bug got real hungry and said, ooh, I want to chomp that, and you wouldn't buy the apple, right? Now, apple maggots, as I said before, it's a female bug that flies around, pierces the uh, skin of the apple, and lays its eggs inside the apple. And they go to the center of the apple, and then the bugs start creating tunnels throughout the apple. Then while the apple's still hanging, then when it falls and it goes on the ground, then the bugs come out of the apple, and then it just repeats the cycle over and over and over. Now, why do I share that with you? Because at the beginning, we took a pulse, right, of our physical heart. We checked our pulse. I want you to check this pulse. This is your spiritual heart. What's coming out? I pray it's not self. I pray it's not the fruit of the flesh. But I pray it is what? The fruit of the Spirit. I pray that your heart is soft and healthy. Because we could hear a message, as I said earlier, we could hear any message on a Sunday morning. And we could find ourselves, what, hardening to it already, sitting in our chair. Starting to doubt God's goodness. Yeah, right, he could never do that in my life. And you feel your heart harden what's coming out. We start hardening and we start even muting what God's doing it through his word. And your heart continues to harden. Or you could hear a message here today or one next week or last week or the discipleship that you heard this morning or even God's word. And your heart could be beginning to soften. And you're allowing others to speak to the holes and the other things that they're seeing in your heart. And your heart could be here this morning and could be soft, saying, I need this. Lord, I need this. Every hour I need this. And you say, I love God's word. 
I need Jesus. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. And all these things, every single one of us have to leave with this, is what is your pulse saying your heart condition is? How is your heart condition? What is the condition of your heart? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for today. I thank you so much for allowing us to open your word and simply by reading a couple sentences, a passage or two, God, we are cut to the quick. Your word is living and active. You, you want to speak to the areas and the crevices in our hearts that we wouldn't let anyone else know about. God, everything is open and laid bare before you. We come to you in worship, and we come to you in our time in the Word. We come to you in every moment, recognizing that you see everything. You see everything. Our intentions, our thoughts, our, our motives, you see everything. I give you my heart, God. I pray our church gives you our hearts. God, and lastly, we can come to you even now and that you're accepting this prayer. You're hearing this prayer. This is not fake. This is not made up. No, because Jesus rose again. We can speak prayer and we can ask things to you, God, and come to you boldly with confidence. And right now, boldly, we come to you saying, change our hearts. Break them for what breaks yours, God. We ask you to change our hearts here, now, and that what comes out is love, what comes out is peace, what comes out is your grace. God, we thank you so much. We love you. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.